So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your wisdom and knowledge imparted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you now allow ourselves to just quiet our souls, quiet us to the place where we hear you speak and nothing else, no distractions, no issues, nothing getting in the way of your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're now in the month of February, and we typically recognize February as the month where there is talk about love because of the onset of Valentine's Day. It is where people take an interest in the subject of love by extending greetings with cards, Candy, flowers, gifts, and perhaps even engagement rings or even getting married before a judge at a city hall ceremony. Even for those who are not in a relationship, there has been a recent push to celebrate great friendships by promoting Happy Galentine's Day. You ever hear that before? Happy Galentine's Day, yeah. Now, this additional approach has done wonders for greeting card companies. They've experienced a bump in revenue over the last couple of years, uh, especially because of the pandemic. It's technically not a holiday, of course, but Valentine's Day is a big deal to a large number of people. It is very popular for merchants as well. In a recent article, it was reported that the average American is going to spend... The average American is going to spend $164.76 on Valentine's Day. Now, that amount is actually down from 2020, when a record $196.31 was spent. But the pandemic's impact on this year will still translate to a collective spending of, get this, $21.8 billion for Valentine's Day. And that's going to be Valentine's Day gifts for partners, for friends, for pets, (laughs) and more. Valentine's Day is a way to express love, but the theme of love is not limited to romance, of course. If you hang around long enough, you'd recognize that today's definition of love, depending on the user, can have different meanings. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the English word love has referred to a strong affection for one another since before the 12th century. It's grown to include the descriptive words passion, affection, and devotion. Well, let's now approach this from a Christian perspective. In referring to the Greek language, and we're referring to Greek because we know the New Testament was rooted in the Greek language, depending upon the source, there are as many as eight Greek words for love. Now, that's pretty small, isn't it? But I'm going to go ahead and read those out to you, but I'm just giving these to you just for a guideline so that you can see what we're talking about. The word storge, storge, refers to affection. 
That's S-T-O-R-G-E. Then philia or philio is friendship. Eros, which is sexual and erotic. Ludus, which is flirtatious, playful, casual, uncommitted. Then we have pragma, committed and long-standing. Philosia, which is self-love. Self-love is good when you're talking about your own self-esteem, but it's not so good if you're referring to narcissism. So it can go in two different directions. Then we have mania, which we kind of know that word just by recognizing it for what it is. We talk about a maniac or mania. Mania is obsessive, possessive, addictive, and dependent. And then finally, agape. Agape. Unconditional, divine, and selfless. In the Christian realm, four of these Greek words are most often mentioned in discussion. And I'm highlighting those in red, and I see that by highlighting those in red here, it almost eliminates them altogether. But for just <laughs> for the discussion, storge, philia, eros, and agape. Those are the ones that we're going to be focusing on, um, at least for this moment. Interestingly, only two of these are specifically referenced in the New Testament. Eros, which refers to romantic or sexual love, the English word erotic comes from eros. It is not referenced in the New Testament at all. Storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, is a familiar love that we would see between a mother and her baby, or perhaps a brother and sister. It is also not specifically mentioned in the New Testament, but there are references to storge from an opposite perspective of love. Now, the term astorgoi, which is unloving, is in 1 Timothy 3.3, and astorgos, which means no love, is in NIV, and without natural affection in the King James Version in Romans 1.31. Let's take a look at those two passages real quick. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. Now, this is going to be referring to the personalities of people who are not following the Lord. You'll be able to see this here. But it's going to actually refer to the opposite of storge, the familiar love. This will be the opposite of that. 1 Timothy 3.3, English Standard Version. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Those are describing the exact opposite of storge. And then turn over to Romans 1.31, please. Romans 1.31. Same principle. And some of these behaviors we know, don't we? When we look at these behaviors for what they really are, they're problematic. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Definitely the opposite of storge as we understand it. Now let's talk about philia for a moment. Philia refers to a friend and friendship. 
Turn your Bibles now to Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. This is filial love described. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay? So we get that. Finally, agape. Agape is defined, as defined previously, is most often referring to God's love that he has for the world and how we, as Christians, are challenged to replicate this love to others. John 3.16 is the epitome of agape love that we often refer to. And there are many different examples of agape love in the New Testament. And that's where we're going to spend much of our time today. We're going to be talking about agape love. We're going to be talking about agape love. At one time, there was a popular belief that Christians created the concept of agape love. When I say created, as in quotes, they didn't create it. But I'll explain this a little bit further. They, ex- they tried to create the concept of agape love in an effort to explain the revolutionary concept of God's love that was much different from the world. Now, in reality, agape was a commonly used Greek word in the Roman Empire. And initially, is because it was used there in the Roman Empire, Christians did not start off using this word to communicate the magnitude of God's love. In other words, because the Romans were using it, we're not going to use that word right now. But remember, the definition of agape love is unconditional love, love from a divine perspective, and selfless love, which is what you see up here. That's the definition of agape love. Now, I have often said that words mean things. And they do. Words mean things. Now, sometimes people say things and, well, I didn't really mean it. Well, you said it. And those words have a meaning behind them. It's not a breathtaking statement to say that, but it makes a lot of sense to make sure that when we communicate not just God's word, we're communicating all words that we use with as much understanding as possible. Don't be the individual who listens to someone talk to them and you walk away, what did they say? If you're not clear on what was being said, you can ask questions. You can get clarification. And I would hope that you would even be doing something like this when you're reading your Bible. Ask questions. Get the definition. Have an understanding of what it is. Paul provides us a cautious reminder about how one's actions about love must meet the words that we use. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13, please. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. First Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3.
Now, just for the sake of discussion, for those in the back, I won't be needing any more of the slides. If you want to turn the lights back up, that's fine, too. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, listen to this carefully, everyone, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Do you see what is going on here? You can be the most super Christian you've ever been, but if you have no love, it's meaningless. Meaningless. Do you know why? Because there are a lot of things that are mentioned here in this passage that ordinary people can do. Like giving all their money. Like charity. But if love, and specifically the love of Christ, is not coming from you, is not emanating from you, then it's meaningless. Meaningless. That is an important takeaway here. We appreciate when people give and strive and do things, but we have to understand something. If love is not in it, then it's no good. Paul continues with what love truly is. He stays on in that passage. He describes to you what love truly is and what it needs to be at all times when it comes to our relationship with others. Drop down to verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go through verse to verse 7. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, I personally love the reference here about how love never loses faith and is always hopeful. That's really important. When we look at this passage, we should look into our own hearts and minds. And see that this love, as described, is how we are to love Jesus. This is how we are to love Jesus. Not in a half-hearted manner. Not in a manner where, well, I'll put something into it, Lord. Can you give me something back? No. Wholehearted love for Jesus. If you have any questions about how God loves you or how you love God, look carefully at these words and reflect upon them in prayer. Go back and look at 1 Corinthians 13 again and look at this passage and seek him out on this. If you have any questions about how God loves you, this is a great place to start. 
God's love for us is perfect. Amen? God's love for us is perfect. He has a perfect love. We are to strive to love Him as He indeed loves us because we know that we are not perfect. We have to strive for His perfection because there are imperfect aspects in our love relationship and even in our relationship with Jesus. Is our love relationship with Jesus perfect? Not really. We got work to do in this area. There are some of us who have to really work in understanding about what this love truly is. And you know what? That's okay. Because God just says, meet me where I am. Start there. To love requires humility and vulnerability. Humility and vulnerability. For those of us who have walls and barriers when it comes to love, you've got to break them down. You've got to eliminate them forever. These walls that we have up, these barriers, no one can get past my barriers. Why you got barriers up? I'll tell you why you got barriers up. You're not being humble. And you're not being vulnerable. That's a tough thing to say. But that's exactly what it is. I try to call them as I see them. You've got to be humble. You've got to be vulnerable. If you want to be the child of God that you're setting out to be, you can't have walls. The Holy Spirit can help you in this area, but on many occasions, love requires honestly stepping out in faith. Love requires stepping out in faith. You should have seen me the day that I was going to propose to my wife. Uh, I, I took her out for dinner at sweet on sweetest day in 2004. And I, and I knew I was going to propose to her that day. You should have seen me. I looked like, I don't know what I looked like. I looked like a nervous wreck. That's probably the best way to describe it, right? Because it was a matter of stepping out on faith. Now, I knew that this was the woman for me. Amen? I knew that in confidence because God had brought her into my life for that moment. But that didn't change the fact that I still had to step out on faith because I was a nervous wreck. Like, what if she says no? Well, she didn't say no. Praise the Lord. Amen. Sometimes it requires stepping out in faith. And that sometimes is what we have to do with our Lord. But it requires daily prayer, meditation of His Word, and moving forward in His grace. Because God knows your heart. He knows where you are. And we're all under improvement. Amen? We're all striving to get better. We're all still works in process when it comes to this love thing. And love for our Savior for that matter. It's also helpful for this exercise to look at agape love by also looking at how Jesus looks at love in a different manner. Please turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Luke six thirty-two. Now this goes back to the distinction between people who are believers and non-believers. There is a distinction. And we should mention the distinction. Luke 
If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Okay, we're, we're making a distinction here. Yeah, sinners love those who love them too. They know what love is. They understand what love is. But the love that we're talking about here in this passage is talking about agape love. Okay? But the most important point we need to see here is that the love that sinners expresses is not the same as the selfless, sacrificial love that we associate with Christ-like behavior. Christ-like behavior. So while the definition of agape love has not really changed, it has been repurposed, repurposed when we as believers live the agape love of Jesus Christ. It's repurposed. It's a new and better type of agape love. Let's put it that way. Because it's Christ-like in nature. It's not based upon necessarily emotion. It's more or less based upon following Jesus Christ and living in His manner. There are a lot of things that you do in agape love. You may not like the situation, but it transcends beyond not liking it and still living for Jesus Christ. There's the difference. We are to practice agape love with our spouses, our family members. You know some of your family, amen? Amen? Yeah. Our friends, our co-workers, our fellow members within the body of Christ, literally everyone we come into contact with. That's the agape love that we have to practice. And I pray that it's not grudgingly that you do this. You do this because of your love for Jesus Christ. You don't do it because it's a burden. Amen? It's not a burden. It shouldn't be a burden. That goes back to praying to the Lord about, why is this a burden to me? What's going on where this is a burden to me? Agape love requires a heart for God. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Agape love requires a heart for God. The reason for this is because we must love God and devote ourselves to Him in the same manner that He loves us. The same manner that He loves us. Can we even describe the love that God has for us? We can't even come close. There are words that are inadequate to describe the love of God that He has for us. But yet, we need to do whatever we can to emulate that love to others. A heart for God means living in obedience to His Word and also living as a servant within His Great Commission. Of course, the the church, uh, uh, the statement of our church is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. You're living according to going in all the world, preaching the gospel, speaking to people about the love of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. If we're convicted as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we know the love of God has for us, doing the Great Commission should be no issue with you. Let's go back again over the definition of agape. Unconditional love, you can put this down in brackets. Unconditional love, not brackets, but put bullet points next to them. Unconditional love 
Number one, selfless love. Number two, and love from a divine perspective. Unconditional love, selfless love, love from a divine perspective. Let's take a look at these three things for greater clarity and understand what agape love is representing Jesus Christ. First, unconditional love. John 3.16, we know what that is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is agape love. That is the pinnacle, the ultimate love that God is showing to us because of what he did. His son. He gave his son for us. Amen? Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Let's take a look at three verses in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. Starting at verse 8. This is again talking about the unconditional love that Jesus has for us. No conditions. He just does it. He just loves us. Verse 8, 1 John 4. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Amen? Amen. God is love. Drop down to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Drop down to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This love that we have and experience with the Lord, it's a, a process of perfection. How is that? Sanctification. The Holy Spirit. The sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're recognizing here. We are still being perfected. We're still being worked on. Do we have fear at times? Yes, we do. Do we struggle at times? Absolutely. Do we have a hard time? Do we have a hard time even thinking about going to church this morning? Amen? I'm just checking to see if you're up. We're still being perfected. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us and helps us to grow and increase in our knowledge and love about Him. And being able to share that with others. God's love for us is indeed the perfect demonstration of love. It is the perfect demonstration of love. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, He abides in, He resides with every believer. And boy, don't we need the Spirit. Amen? We need the Spirit. Spirit helps us to overcome our fleshliness. Amen? It wasn't such a loud amen, but you know what I mean. We love him in recognition of his perfect love for us. Next, let's take a look at selfless love. In addition to the description of what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, here are additional verses for consideration. Flip over to John chapter 15. John 15... Verse 13. John 15, verse 13. Selfless love. 
Here is the epitome of selfless love, everybody. If you look at John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Amen? And there have been acts of selfless love that have happened over the course of time where someone dies trying to save a drowning person. Saves that person, but that person dies. I can't think of a greater love than that other than Christ dying on the cross for us. Amen? Amen. Selfless love. Turn real quick to Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, please. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, selfless love requires living outside of yourself. Amen? Living outside of yourself. Should you take care of yourself? Should you work out? Should you walk? Should you do whatever? Absolutely. You should take care of yourself. Because we remember that one of the commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you take care of yourself, but love your neighbor in the same way. And look what it says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Same thing. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If you have that attitude, you can't go wrong. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, which is fine. See that? It's okay to look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, this is where we talk about this narcissism thing. You're so caught up in yourself, you don't see anybody else. Well, you're in sin. There you go. You're in sin. Because that's not what God would have you to do. And turn to Galatians 5.14. says the same thing in a different way but it says it and it essentially puts an exclamation point on this point about selfless love Galatians 5.14 it's also in Matthew chapter 22 but there's so many places you can find examples of selfless love Galatians 5.14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself amen and amen amen Love your neighbor as yourself. So you can see how people go overboard when they don't take care of themselves and they just do everything for everybody else. Well, that's not scriptural. We need to keep that in mind. You can go overboard in the other direction too. You still have to look after yourself. God allows that in His Word. The interests of your own and the interests of others. Okay. Finally, let's look at love from a divine perspective. This is going to be very interesting. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 9. And we will be doing a study in 1 Peter. 
I just thought about that for Bible study. We're going to cover First Peter. <laughs> I kept seeing different verses in First Peter. It's like, why are we not talking about First Peter? It's a good book. First Peter four verses seven through nine says, "The end of the world is coming soon." Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Not just love, but a deep love. That's a divine perspective of love. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. If a brother's in trouble and knocks on your door, help him out. Don't worry about how the house looks. Amen? Oh, hold up, hold up. Stay out in the freezing cold for a little while. Let me straighten up inside. I'll take care of you in one moment. Before you come inside, let him in. Shoot, live your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what if the house is tore up? I like the house tore up sometimes. It's lived in. Amen? Amen. Amen. It sounds like a pontification if I ever heard one. Turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3. You may have to use your... Use your, uh, your table of contents to find it. Because you don't go to Zephaniah very often. Now, if you're doing the two-year Bible plan, you'll see Zephaniah. Amen? Yeah, nobody said amen back to that. Amen. If you see the two-year Bible plan, you'll see Zephaniah. Amen. Every two years you'll see it. We don't see it any other time. Zephaniah 3, verses 14, <laughs> verses 14 through 17. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and that you will never again fear disaster. Check out this last part. Verse 16, on that day the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up Zion, don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with His love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That's a divine love. That's how much the Lord loves us. He will sing over you. He will give praise to who you are. Because he loves you that much. When we talk about the praise team and what they do and they sing songs. Well, they're giving praise to the Lord. And some of us may have trouble getting involved with that because we don't understand what that praise really means. Remember, he wants us to love him as he loves us. Where do you think music comes from? It was invented by the Lord. That's where music comes from. We didn't invent music. We think we did, but we didn't. It comes directly from the Lord. 
Turn to Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Still on time, we need to roll along here. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. See that? Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We as believers have the Holy Spirit to help us to get this love thing figured out. It's a gift to us that God gives us. It's a divine love. Jesus Christ loved each one of us before we knew anything about love. Amen? I'll repeat that. Jesus Christ loved us before we knew anything about love. Amen. Amen. His love for us is eternal. His love for us is everlasting. And we are eternal beings. We were created as eternal beings. Amen. We were created as eternal beings. We can experience His everlasting love today and forevermore. It's a choice, of course. What an amazing, spectacular relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. His agape love for us is the ultimate love. Amen. Amen. I can't stress it enough. Don't want to yell and scream too much. But that's the kind of love he has for us. In the spirit of Matthew 5.16, we are to follow Jesus' example in order to reflect his agape love before others. Go to Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I got stuck on this, let your light shine before others. How do you make a distinction in a world of chaos and turmoil? You have to have a light coming from you. You have to have a radiance about you. That comes from none other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And living for Christ so others can see the difference. Here's a good example of what this is when looking at the encounter Jesus had with the centurion. A Roman officer and of course a Gentile. Please go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. We're going to power through these real quick. But I want you to see... The impact, the agape love that the centurion had. And Jesus makes a point to share how powerful this love is. 
Remember, Jews and Gentiles did not associate with each other. Culturally, they did not. So that's the first thing we have to pay attention to here. And context is everything, everybody. You've got to look at this for what it really is. This is a very powerful statement of love and what that love does to other people. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Verse 2, there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. What? He's talking about the Jewish people. He loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. This is the centurion talking. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Go back to verses 4 and 5 again. Really quick. And that's making the note about that they were pleading to have Jesus pay attention to the centurion. Because of his love. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This is yet another reference in the New Testament of agape love. But the Roman centurion reflected a godliness in his approach that others, pay attention, readily saw. They saw evidence of his love by his actions. It was recognized by the Jewish elders. How interesting that is. The Jewish elders are paying attention to what the centurion is doing. There's no other love, people, that crosses racial, ethnic, or economic lines than the agape love of the one who loves God and who's a servant of Jesus Christ. Racial, ethnic, cultural, anything lines. People of difference will see the difference in you if you live for Christ. That's what matters. There's no greater love. Unconditional love, selfless love, love from a divine perspective. Jesus reminded us of the importance of this love in communicating with his disciples. Last passage. Go to John 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, verses 34 and 35. 
Verse 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Who is he referring to? Referring to us. He's talking about us. Of course, he's referring to agape love. As he refers to his love for his disciples. His love was a divine, unconditional, selfless love. And he demonstrated this when he went to the cross for each one of us. Went to the cross. He desires for all believers in him to love in this manner. And to be a witness before others. You be that centurion. You be the one to make a difference in the lives of others by showing that agape love for others. The world needs Jesus. Amen? The world needs Jesus. And he wants you to shine in it. So, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others. Amen? Father, we just thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for showing us your perfect love. And Lord, we are still striving to love the way you do. But Lord, help us in this area where we are just take the time more and more to focus on your word, to focus on prayer with you, to focus on the regular study we do of your word. Show us how we can live in even a greater way than we have already as we associate with other people. Help them to be able to see the love of Christ in my life and in the life of others. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. We give you praise and thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.